Hi everybody, this is Jimmy DeYoung Jr. and welcome to Prophecy Today Weekend. This is a program where my brother and I, Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. That's been the banner over our website for 30 years. We have been examining current events and we help the body of Christ to understand why the world is acting as it is. I just returned from Fruitland Park, Florida, where I was at a Bible conference for four days there teaching God's prophetic word. And Rick, uh, you're just returning from New York City where you were doing some work there, examining some events that are taking place around the United Nations and uh, in future programs. We're going to be talking about that. But today we have uh, late breaking news. As a matter of fact, on Friday, the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, held a big Q&A session about Ukraine and Russia. And the big question was, was Russia going to invade the Ukraine? Well, we're going to take a look at that today. And we have our usual broadcast partners, don't we, Rick? Ken and Dave, as usual, will be the first two guys up. And there are so many things taking place in the world right now, especially when it comes to the situation in Iran and the situation in Russia and the Ukraine. These are hot spots, things that are taking place that are going to affect each and every one of us. And so we need to go to our sources and find out what's going on. Well, we're going to talk to our broadcast partners. We have a couple other broadcast partners this week that will be talking to us. Colonel Bob McGinnis, a contributor to Fox News, CNN, Newsmax. He'll be on our program today talking to us about the the latest speech that President Xi made at the World Economic Forum. Uh, we also have Dr. Don DeYoung, and Don will be here talking to us about the mass extinction. We're in the sixth one. That's what they say anyway. Plus, we have Winston Hammerud with us this week. He's written a book. I think you'll find his interview very informative on today's program. But first, Rick, we have Ken Timmerman. Ken Timmerman is with us. He's our normal broadcast partner when it comes to discussing geopolitical affairs. And Ken, thank you for joining us today. Rick, it's always my pleasure. Well, we have to get started with what's in the news today. And there's so much going on with uh, the U.S.'s, I guess, posturing, you would call it, with what's going on with Russia and Putin Could you and, and in Ukraine. Could you fill us in on that story and tell us where we are at right now? Well, posturing is a very good term for it. Uh, look, this has been a big week. We've had a lot of news this week. Uh, the Iranian president, Raisi, is in Moscow, went to Moscow. Tony Blinken, our secretary of state, uh, was in uh, Kiev and then also going to Moscow. The Houthis, the Iranian-backed militia in Yemen, launched drones against the United Arab Emirates, making oil prices skyrocket. And then you have the U.S. continuing to engage in these talks with Iran over their nuclear weapons program in Vienna. So a lot of stuff is going on. And you mentioned posturing. That is a great term for it, unfortunately. President Biden, in his news conference, almost two hours, by the way, the second news conference this president has had since assuming office a mm. year ago. Mm. Two news conferences in one year. And what he said is, it's highly likely that Putin is going to go into Ukraine. Well, gee, Talk about an invitation. That was about the dumbest thing he possibly could have said. If you're president of the United States, that is exactly what you do not say. You do not embolden your adversary by telling him, well, actually, we kind of expect you to do this awful, horrible thing that we're claiming in public we don't want you to do. But we really expect you to do it anyway because you're a terrible person and we'll make you pay a price for it. But by the way, go ahead. Make my day. 
I mean, it is ridiculous. Uh, it's even worse than the so-called green light given to Saddam Hussein to go into Kuwait, which was not a green light. It was certainly not given by the president of the United States. It was a U.S. ambassador who didn't understand what Saddam was talking about when he asked her, well, what do you think about Kuwait and they're gouging us and, you know, they're cheating us and all the rest? And she said, well, we have no opinion on that, Mr. President. <laughs> that was the, the so-called uh, Iraq green light in 19, uh, 1990. Well, this is 10 times worse. Biden is saying to Putin, you know what? We know you're going to do this stuff. And it's okay if it's just a, and he used this term, if it's a minor incursion, well, then we'll just kind of figure out what kind of uh, response we have to take and, you know, amongst allies, and that's okay. But if he makes a major invasion of Ukraine, well, then, then that's, gosh, I don't know. The sky is going to fall. <laughs> it was pathetic. He spent 17 minutes of this almost two-hour news conference devoted to Russia, and what he did in those 17 minutes was basically tell Putin, you know what? Go ahead. Not going to stand in your way and not going to do anything about it. Frankly, it, it just leaves me wondering uh, who is running the United States. Don't we have any professionals left here? Well, we move from there, and that's certainly concerning. But now Russia also has designs on the Middle East, and there's some reports coming out of uh, the Middle Eastern newspapers nowadays talking about how Iran sees the ties with Russia as basically a new Middle East. Well, that's right. And so Raisi, the president, uh, the so-called hardline president, not any hard, more hardline than Rouhani was his predecessor, but he goes to Russia for a two-day visit on Wednesday and Thursday, meets with top officials, including Putin, and uh, one of the things that the Iranian media was talking about was that he wanted to, quote, expand trade with Russia. Okay, we get that. That's, that's kind of normal. No big deal. But then he said, our talks with the Russians are strategic. They are not temporary. They are strategic in nature. And what he's trying to do is to build up a, an axis with Russia and China. So you're going to have Iran, Russia, and China building an axis to resist hmm. and counteract and thwart any attempt by the United States and Western Europe to impose sanctions on them. So they could very conceivably, out of this, form a new kind of sub-economic uh, geosphere where the Chinese will trade with Iran, Iran will trade with Russia, Russia trades with China. They're all kind of going back and forth and they don't have to deal with Western Europe so much. They don't have to deal with the United States so much because they've got markets and, and, and money amongst themselves and raw materials coming from Iran. So this, is, this was a big deal. It was Raisi's first trip to Moscow. And uh, I think he is truly trying to set up this strategic relationship with Russia, which has been in the works for the past couple of months. My final question for you, Ken, and this is something that we might have a, a bit of a theme on today, but just wanted to get your take on it while I had you on the line. And we're looking at Europe right now and all the immigration, the recent immigration coming from the Middle East and essentially from Islamic nations. How is that changing the landscape of Europe and, and what does that mean for the future? You know, the Islamists have been gaining ground in Europe for the past 25 years. They've been increasing in numbers, expanding their mosques, 
They have been creating these no-go zones in capitals and in provincial cities in Sweden, in Germany, in France in particular. So I wrote a book about this 20 years ago called Preachers of Hate, Islam and the War on America. And there's several chapters in the book that look at where I go to some of these places like Trop in France, it's a suburb outside of Paris, where uh, they were Islamists were already attacking Jewish residents and rabbis and synagogues. Well, now what's happening, uh, they've gone beyond just their anti-Semitic attacks. And I, and I hate to, to use the word just their anti-Semitic attacks, but now they're attacking everybody that they don't agree with. So they, they recently, there was a, uh, in the same city trap where I had you know, met with rabbis a, a number of years ago. Now they're going after toy stores. They're going after Christians in uh, Christmas celebrations and ceremonies. They're threatening mm. clerics. Uh, it, is, it is amazing. The French General Directorate of Internal Security has mapped out 150 districts across France, and these are major suburbs and cities and townships, quote, in possession of these Islamic fundamentalist groups. And he said more than 500 districts in France are declared sensitive, uh, which means that they are, are subject to Islamic law. Women cannot walk the streets without wearing the burqa. Uh, and uh, young men and young women cannot walk hand in hand in the streets or they will be attacked. Sometimes they'll get acid thrown at their faces. It's really incredible. Uh, and now you have 25 cities in France where the percentage of non-Europeans is over 70 percent, over 70 percent non-Europeans. And what this means is uh, they are Muslims. OK, they are Muslim immigrants. This is a uh, existential challenge. To Europe, to Western Europe in particular, because the former Eastern European countries had cur have curtailed this kind of immigration. And unfortunately, the governments of Western Europe, France, Germany, Sweden in particular, have shown themselves completely incapable, incompetent of meeting this challenge. They don't know what to do because they believe themselves to be, quote, multicultural. You know, you had Angela Merk Merkel, the former chancellor of um, Germany, a so-called conservative, talking about how multiculturalism was a wonderful thing. Well, it's not a wonderful thing. It leads to priests getting attacked, to these Islamists telling them this happened just outside of Paris uh, right after Christmas, telling a Christian priest leading a procession of the Immaculate Conception, you are a kufa, you are an infidel, and, and you do not belong here. These Muslim immigrants told a French Catholic priest. And, he said, and then they went on to say, we're going to kill all of you. And what did the police do? Nothing. I mean, this is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Europe is collapsing as a civilization. And I think there is a strong moral and spiritual call for leadership now uh, in Europe from the faithful who remain. You know, every time I've said this on the show, every time I get back from visiting our, our, our home in France, our second home in France, I say I've returned from formerly Christian Europe. Hmm. And this is becoming more and more true, Rick, every day. Well, Ken, thank you for keeping us updated on that. It's very concerning, and you are uniquely positioned to give firsthand information. Uh, so thank you so much, and uh, thank you for all that you do to keep our listeners informed, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you so much, Rick. God bless. That was Ken Timmerman and his geopolitical outlook on the world, what's happening around the world, really setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled 
in the future. Well, we're going to have to take a break here on Prophecy Today weekend. And when we come back, David Dolan with his Middle East news update right here on Prophecy Today. I'm Todd Morris for Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Since November of last year, Russia has built up about 100,000 troops on the border with Ukraine. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken will visit Ukraine this week amid fears of a Russian invasion. Eric Mock with the Slavic Gospel Association says local Christians face a lot of uncertainty, but they'll continue proclaiming the name of Jesus no matter what. Pray for peace in the region and ask God to strengthen and grow the churches. Sometimes children are the gateway to reach entire families for Christ. Kids encounter Jesus at Vacation Bible School or a similar program, and their witness brings parents to the Lord. In many countries, parents may know the Lord, but they don't know how to reach their kids. By joining the Alliance for the Unreached, Keys for Kids Ministries can supply believers worldwide with tools and resources for family outreach. Pray this partnership fuels transformation in unreached communities. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy D. Young Jr. along with my brother Rick. This is a program where we're talking about current events in light of God's prophetic word. This is the segment of the program where we talk to our good friend Dave Dolan. Dave, thank you for joining us today for the Middle East News Update. Glad to do it as always, Rick. Well, we've got a lot of stories to get to, so we'll start hitting them one at a time. President Erdogan of Turkey is signaling or giving overtures that he would agree to a thaw in the kind of frozen relationship that Israel and Turkey have endured over the last few years. Well, that's the case, Rick. And actually, since the new government took over last spring, uh, there have been a number of increasing overtures from Turkey and back from Israel. The president of Israel is working on plans to visit Turkey. That would be the first in 13 years. We had a telephone conversation during the week between the foreign minister of Turkey and Israel. The foreign minister said he called just to wish uh, Yair Lapid well after he came down with COVID, but other things were discussed. And the defense ministers also spoke for the first time in 13 years. So uh, important developments. And Rick, this is attributed to two things. The economic crisis in Turkey has been growing as relations with other NATO members have been uh, more and more difficult. 
And uh, the United States uh, basically announced earlier in the week that it opposed a gas pipeline, natural gas pipeline from the Mediterranean eastern basin, where Israel has quite a bit of activity going on to extract natural gas. Uh, That was going to go through Cyprus and then up to Greece and then throughout Europe. Well, the U.S. is opposing that now, and uh, they say it's economically unfeasible and et cetera. And so uh, Erdogan uh, earlier in the week said, well, you can build it through Turkey. Just take it up north and uh, we'll send it over to uh, Europe. So he seems to be in desperate need of some financial uplift here. And uh, Israeli tourism, Rick, as I think you'll know, was a major source of income for Turkey before 2010 when relations were basically broken after Turkey sent a ship to try to uh, breach the IDF blockade of the Gaza Strip, uh, where they were smuggling in weapons, etc. So it uh, could be that things are improving there. Uh, we'll see where whether it goes all the way. But if President Herzog does go to Ankara to meet with Erdogan, that would be a major uh, step forward. Well, we do know that uh, Erdogan is the head of an is basically an Islamic republic, and so you're saying this is probably more centered around money, and oil, and a pipeline, and things like that, and less an ideological shift from uh, Erdogan and Turkey itself. Correct. Well, correct, Rick, and the evidence of that uh, during the middle of the week, Turkey also announced, not the president, but a government spokesman that they would be holding a seminar on uh, Al-Aqsa in Jerusalem and Israeli violations of law. So, uh, you know, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. But uh, Israel definitely is interested in restoring relations with Turkey. It's a huge country. Um, It has a lot of influence in the region. And uh, they don't need any more enemies now, do they? So they're hopeful this will go through. But that's what the analysts are saying, that behind the whole thing is mainly Turkey's economic crisis. Their currency is virtually collapsed. And they need Israel and other Western countries to have a more positive attitude towards them. And frankly, they will need Israeli tourism to return if indeed uh, COVID subsides. So those are the main things that most people think are behind it. But their ideology, as you said, it's an Islamic state. They still have a lot of anti-Israel statements and sentiments in their country, in their press. And uh, so they're not going to become warm buddies, let's put it that way. Well, my next couple of questions uh, revolve around the Palestinian issue. And reports came out this week that the European Union has poured over $500 million into the illegal Palestinian takeover of Area C. Right. And for your listeners that may not know all the weeds there, Area C was in the Oslo Accords, the part of Judea and Samaria that Israel controls entirely. There's Area B, where they have joint control with the Palestinians, and Area A is only controlled by the Palestinians. Area A is mostly Arab cities and towns. Area B is open areas between them. Area C is where most of the Jewish settlements are. Um, And so this is uh, uh, another indication that the EU is pretty hostile to Jews living anywhere in Judea and Samaria. And the statement basically said that. They issued a statement, I should say, on Wednesday against a new Jewish neighborhood that was announced on Monday that's going to be built south of Jerusalem on the road to Bethlehem. 
of 1,500 homes. They said, that's a, a no-no, you've got to stop that. And also Israel demolished a couple Arab homes in the north of Jerusalem that were built illegally on land that had been owned by Jews that they took over in 1948. So the EU condemned that. But yes, they are helping the PA apparently with half a billion dollars to um, fight for uh, Arab lands inside of Area C and basically to dismantle Jewish control of that area is what it amounts to. And the Israelis, of course, are not very happy about that, particularly since the PA still talks about Israel as an occupation state. And of course, we have Hamas, that's the most popular uh, force in the Palestinian politic right now, uh, wants Israel's total destruction, not just removal from Judea and Samaria. So the EU is sticking their nose once again in somebody else's business, and the Israelis are not real happy about it. Well, my second question also revolves around the Palestinian issue and the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood in eastern Jerusalem there. Um, they've had another eviction. This sparked a war the last time they had it. The news, the mainstream media gives you a certain impression about what's taking place here. Could you tell us from your viewpoint what actually is taking place here and what does it mean for both the Jewish government and the Arab people that are living there? Well, Rick, that's what I was alluding to a minute ago in the EU statement on Wednesday. Um, there, this is an area, you know it, I'm sure, just north of the old city. Mm-hmm. Uh, right above it is a Jewish neighborhood. Uh, Mount Scopus is there, and Hebrew University is there. And this was Jewish-owned land before 1948. Jews lived in the homes there. It was a Jewish neighborhood. In 1948, uh, Jordan took it over in the, in the uh, war then, the Independence War, and they moved in some Arabs. And uh, most of them have lived there ever since. This, in this case, the two homes that were demolished had been built more recently. They didn't exist in '48, but they were on this Jewish-owned land. And there's been court cases going on for many years. And uh, the two homes that were demolished, one of them, in uh, five years ago already, the Supreme Court ruled that it was Jewish-owned and that the people who had built this home without a permit uh, on this land needed to uh, get out of there. So they wouldn't. They refused. And on Monday, in fact, the uh, the guy that lived there, I won't say the owner because he isn't legally, he got up on the roof with a canister of gas and said he was going to blow himself up and burn the house down if there was any attempt to take it over. Well, they got a hold of him. He didn't do that. And then they demolished the home. So this is the background issue. Of course, the Arabs say, well, Jews took over our homes in various cities and towns along the coast and other areas. And there's truth to that. But this is, after all, Jerusalem. Of course, Hamas made this their main reason for launching a war last May. And uh, as you suggested, this could flare up again into another conflict. The EU's condemning it, etc. But the Israelis are just saying, look, you know, we this is Jewish owned land and uh, part of Jerusalem and there's Jewish neighborhoods all around it. And, uh, you know, we we want to uh, retake that. So there you go. My final question, Dave, is more of a geopolitical question, but deals with the Middle East. And we're looking at Iran right now, and we've talked with Ken about this earlier, but we're looking at Iran right now, and we're seeing their ties with Russia 
and their attempt to create a new Middle East. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the relationship that Iran and Russia are forming right now? Well, the fact that President Raisi of Iran went to Moscow at Putin's invitation this week was very significant. We have reports that they're going to do another naval joint exercise with Russia and China participating. Uh, Iran needs all the um, support it can get in the world. It certainly doesn't have much from the West. And uh, Russia is more than willing to fill that gap and China as well, which gets a lot of oil from Iran. So all this is going on while the war continues. You know, the Houthi rebels sent uh, drone planes into Abu Dhabi early in the week and uh, bombed several positions, including an oil facility right at the airport. So they're expanding the war against Israel's allies in the Arab world. And it's a very serious situation. But again, we know prophetically, Rick, you know it well. Your dad used to talk about it all the time. Russia and Iran are prophesied to be together in the, the Battle of Gog and Magog at the end of time. So we seem to see that alliance forming. Turkey's going to be involved with that as well, the prophet said. So none of this is really a surprise, but it's uh, disconcerting to say the least to the Israelis. And if Putin goes into the Ukraine, then ties with Israel will be extremely strained as it is. But Iran will apparently back them in that. Well, Dave, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us and share with us what's going on. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. I'm always glad to do it, Rick. God bless. We've got to take a break. We'll be right back. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., and along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And this week, as we are watching the world, it seems like they're racing toward uh, that final curtain going up for Bible prophecy to really to unfold. As you see and as you understand Bible prophecy, you know a lot of the things that are happening are setting up events that will take place in the future. On the program with us today, as we announced earlier, Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis. He's a retired U.S. Army officer, an experienced military analyst, and on-the-ground experience, and the author of a number of books that address the Russia and China threat, including Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism. And I understand, Colonel McGinnis, you're working on a new book. Yes, I am, Jimmy. I'm working on a book on China. Of course, I've written about China extensively over the last 30 years, but you know, not an entire book dedicated to that. Uh, but uh, given what's going on in the world, I think uh, people need to appreciate how uh, dangerous uh, that regime is. And mm -hmm. so I go into great detail and, and provide a lot of uh, 
substance for them to appreciate uh, the future with that nation. So we know Russia and China and Iran are talking about a joint naval exercise. What could you tell me about that? Well, you know, Russia and China have been really building up their alliance for years. Back in 2018, I wrote a book, Alliance of Evil, which is basically Russia and China collaborating against the West, and more specifically the United States, and that we're entering an era of a new Cold War. It's interesting, three years ago, people weren't talking about that. Mm. And today, you know, you're, you're hearing all sorts of people that are all of a sudden discovering that, yeah, yeah this does look like a new Cold War. And it's very serious. And in fact, it is. But, you know, the Russians, Chinese, and Iranians on the Strait of Hormuz have conducted uh, past naval exercises uh, and they're preparing to do another one probably in the next month or so. Uh, and that will be, of course, in the Gulf of Oman through the Strait of Hormuz. And it will involve a variety of naval vessels uh, in and out of uh, the Indian Ocean into the Persian Gulf and back again. Uh, it's just the, the collaboration amongst uh, the regimes of evil that i call them mm. uh, they'll continue to do this they they've done this uh, not necessarily just with iran but china and russia have done it in the baltic region uh, they've done it in the pacific uh, you know this past year uh, and of course they'll continue to do it with the likes of iran uh, in the persian gulf because um, certainly china having just signed a 25 year agreement with uh, tehran uh, wants to curry favor uh, with the Iranians so they can have access, of course, to uh, their energy uh, you know, production. And, of course, uh, they also want to have a strategic uh, position there in the Gulf. But if you go to the likes of Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, uh, Oman, uh, Bahrain, uh, and so forth, you'll find Chinese uh, businessmen. They're all over. So mm -hmm. uh, they already have a pretty sizable footprint there. Well, I like the way you said it, the regime of evil or this new axis of evil, really, because they are setting up uh, between the three of them, well, between Russia and China, they're setting up almost a new world economic system, uh, especially if we try to levy sanctions on Russia, as uh, the United States has done on, on Iran. And it's interesting that these three nations are coming together to establish some sort of world or a new economic system between the, uh, Russia and China. But this last week, we saw uh, with the World Economic Forum, and I, if you could talk about the World Economic Forum for a moment, but President Xi was uh, spoke at the World Economic Forum this last week. Yeah, yeah, there in Davos, of course, he he spoke virtually from Beijing, and you know, President Xi is pretty clear. You know, if, if you look at his words, and I wouldn't believe a, a single word of it, but <laughs> if you look at what he said, uh, he calls almost like kumbaya. We need to all get along. We mm -hmm. we need to have uh, new modes of social life, new pathways for people-to-people -people exchange. We need a, a global economic system that serves all our best interests. Mm. Uh, these are things that he promulgates. But, it, of course, back in 2013, uh, Mr. Chi established the, the road 
and the Belt and Road Initiative, of course, which is basically a, a bait and switch around the world with infrastructure loans to sovereign nations so that he can you know, really take over because most of the loans fail. The infrastructure is built, whether it's a electric plant or a, a runway or a road, you know, and they're they're really influencing nations all over the world, planting their 5G technology, um, building ports that can be used by the uh, People's Liberation Army Navy, their Navy, which, is, of course, is the largest in the world today. So economically, uh, he aspires to be uh, the world's uh, economic leader. Now, I would say in the next... Uh, 10, 15 years, they will be, if mm. not before, uh, the leading economy in the world uh, in terms of gross domestic product. Uh, and there's there's a lot that's going on. I have you know, the new book I'm producing. I have an entire chapter on you know, President Xi, what he has said, what he is doing, and, and so forth. Uh, ultimately, of course, President Xi wants to be the world's uh, hegemon. He wants to run the world uh, in the likes of uh, the history of China. You know, after all, it's the Middle Kingdom. If you read what he says in the Sixth Plenium or you read some of his more other speeches over the last few years, it's very clear. He wants to rule the world, new world order. He wants to get rid of what the West has done, the United States in particular. So he wants to dictate uh, what's going to happen to us all. That's bad news. Mm. And, of course, in order to have the world the way he wanted, he had to end up killing 60 to 80 million of his fellow Chinese. Well, today, under the new regime of Qi, uh, they have what is mandatory for everybody to study are the thoughts of Chairman Qi. Mm. Uh, it's very similar to what Chairman Mao did. This is serious it's it's past time that you know, the United States woke up to uh, the serious nature of what is about to happen, and it's happening right before our very eyes. Sure is. In the minutes that we have remaining here, uh, Colonel McGinnis, I've sent you an article, and I know that you have a, a good understanding. Can you explain to me about this influx of uh, immigrants from Muslim countries into Europe. It's very concerning. And uh, how do you see this uh, as it's moving forward? What's going to happen to Europe? Yeah, well, uh, keep in mind, Samuel Huntington in 1996, uh, a Harvard professor, a real expert on, he wrote a book called The Clash of Civilizations. And he's basically, his thesis is that you know, with the demise of the Soviet Union in 1991, uh, that uh, there would be rise in its place would be the likes of Islam. Mm. And we've seen precisely that uh, in certain aspects uh, in Western Europe. Now, clearly, you know, Christians have been chased out of places like Iraq, where I've been a number of times, certainly uh, out of Syria. Uh, there's been genocide in, in certain of those countries against people of Christian faith. And a lot of the immigration over the last decade uh, plus uh, has been out of uh, Syria, North Africa, and the like. And they've been the vast majority, if not all of them, have been uh, Muslims who have infiltrated into Western Europe. And they've set up, uh, well, you know, these many uh, 
cities, within cities, uh, uh, ghettos of sorts, and police don't go in them. Uh, they practice Sharia law, and they have become basically a state within a state. Mm. You know, the illustration that, you know, we often refer to is, say, what's happened in Belgium is that the vast majority of the people being born to Bel- in Belgium today are not Belgiques by uh, origin, but are outsiders that have come in and are now populating and ex- really making uh, long-time Belgian families the minority in their own country. We've seen this exactly in France. We've seen it in the Netherlands, in Great Britain, in Germany. Uh, and, you know, they insist upon Sharia law. They insist upon you know, living in their enclaves, uh, protected from infidels, what we call kafirs. Uh, and, you know, they're they're going to take over if given the opportunity. Now, uh, my book, uh, Never Submit, which was written oh, six, seven or years ago, you know, deals with these issues, not only over there, but in this country and mm. how after the Christian genocide in some of those countries, what we uh, face in this country with the, the political correctness about, you know, saying the, the truth about Islam and against you know, what certain of these entities, these Muslim groups, uh, want to do in their own country. And you've, you've heard about many of them, uh, and, and they're deadly serious. Uh, they, they could care less about our Constitution. They could care less about our Judeo-Christian uh, heritage. Uh, all they want to do is take over, and, and they have every intention of doing just that. Wow. Colonel McGinnis, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know you have many other interviews to get to and many people that are looking for your expertise. on the, and, and we're just thankful that we got you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Jimmy. Have a great day. Colonel Bob McGinnis. Well, you know, Rick, every once in a while, something comes across our desk that we just feel compelled to really to kind of share it. And uh, that just so happens to be what's happened this week. We have a new friend. Well, that's right, Jimmy. I do have somebody new on the line. It's a friend of ours, a friend of our ministries. He's been following us for quite a few years. He's written a book, and I want to get him to talk about that. His name is Winston Hammerud, and we actually have a a mutual friend in Colonel Bob McGinnis, who's on the program quite a bit. Uh, Winston, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure to, to join you, and uh I'm uh, thrilled that you're uh, allowing me to say something about the book and about uh, my background and in terms of the intake of Scripture that I've had over the years that provided the basis for what's in the book. Winston, I can certainly attest to the fact that you do read Scripture. We actually, I actually had the pleasure and the honor of escorting you and your wife around Israel in a tour several years ago. And you sat at the front of the bus. I I do remember that. You and your wife were always at the front of the bus because you wanted to be the first one there and you had lots of questions, which is great. But the other thing I noticed is that you always had a Bible in your hand. And as we were driving, you never wasted a second. You were always reading scripture. So just tell us for, tell our listeners, how much scripture do you actually read and what's your plan and how long have you been doing it? I started back in 1970 through influence of my brother, Richard. My brother, Russ, and I both went to the Air Force Academy. We came back to 
uh, to California and we were talking, we be, both became Christians at the academy and we uh, came back to California and we talked to my brother. He really knew the scriptures well. And I asked him, well, what do you read? And he was reading a lot of scripture. So based on his influence, I started reading five Psalms a day and one proverb a day, plus five other chapters of the Bible hmm. every day. And I had a I had a thirst for the Word of God and a hunger for the Word of God, and so uh, I made that part of my life, and I've been doing that every day for uh, for over fifty years. And so all of that scriptural knowledge, just having that knowledge, I wanted to have an outflow. I wanted to share things from the scriptures, and as a result, I started teaching adult Sunday school classes, and I've been doing that for over thirty years. And about about twelve years ago, I got. Uh, where Facebook. And so each day as I would read uh, different things, the Lord would speak to my heart about some scriptural truth, and I'd want to share that. So I'd type it out on Facebook. And then also I'd have interaction with friends, a lot of whom were not Christian and that type of thing, and they'd, they had asked questions, and so I'd respond to those things. And I was saving all of the, all of the things that I wrote. And so what I have, we have five grandchildren, and, and uh, after about 10 years of writing in Facebook, I started to think, I need something to pass on to our grandkids. So what I did is I went and I pulled together uh, as a rough draft all the things that i written over about a 10-year period. And uh, just on a lark, I sent it off to a publishing company, and they accepted it. Hmm. And they said, we, yeah, we'll, we will do a book on this. And so uh, that's what happened. And, and uh, it took about a year for the book to get published, and finally it was published, but it's out there. In the book, I've got over 70 uh, references in an index for different topics that are hit on in the different things that are shared in the book. One thing, Winston, that was always interesting to me is as if we were traveling around the land of Israel, you didn't know where we were going necessarily because you didn't know the geography. It was your first time there. But when we got to a place, you had read so much scripture and it was just so much a part of you that you knew what took place there. You knew what part of scripture it was from. And that was so impressive to me. And it's an encouragement, I feel, to other believers. It's very important to know the Word of God. And I'll tell you one thing, uh, that the wide exposure that uh, the reading has given me over the years is that uh, the whole, it says in scripture that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will lead you into all truth. And there's, there are many people in the world who uh, handle the Word of God deceitfully and corrupt the Word of God. And really having a good personal uh, exposure to Scripture, which reading the Scriptures yourself over time gives you, it enables you to be like the Bereans who search the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so, in terms of what whatever comes at you theologically. Hmm. And so when I wrote this book and a lot of the things that are in the book, I write from a uh, sense of knowing what I'm talking about. And, and, that, and that's the result of the Holy Spirit speaking through your, to your heart through his word if you just take the time to stick your nose in the book and read it. Winston, one of the things my dad always used to say, and I sat through many seminars that he would give on Book of Revelation, Ezekiel, Daniel. And one of the things he used to say, and I forget who he got this from, but he used to say, if you want to teach the Book of Revelation, the first thing you need to do is read it. Not once, not twice, but he said, read it a hundred times. 
Read that book of Revelation a mm-hmm. hundred times, and as you continue right. to read, as you continue to let the Word flow through you, and I imagine you've read the Bible how many times now? Well, I, I, I try to calculate it out one time, but it's the Psalms and the Proverbs, you know, probably up around a thousand. Hmm. But, um, you know, you, you could calculate it, right. 365 days a year times 50 years, and the number of chapters, that type of thing. It's a lot. <laughs> Winston, I appreciate your friendship to our ministry, and you have been a good friend of our ministry, and we we hear from you and see you from time to time. And I just wanted to let our people know about your book, and I wanted you to encourage our people to stay in the Word. But if you could, if you could tell those that are interested, how could they get you? What's the name of your book, and how can they find it? I know right now it just came out. It's on Amazon, and I think it's supposed to be on Barnes & Noble and probably at a, a number of other uh, bookstores. The title is Every Day for a Year, Bible Thoughts and Interactions. My name is G. Winston Hammerud, and it's Every Day for a Year, Bible Thoughts and Interactions. A lot of the interactions uh, cover a lot of a lot of questions people have, like, if I'm wrong, God will forgive me because I'm sincere. All religions are different ways to God. These are So what I do is I respond to those types of statements, and uh, the, the answers to those are in the scriptures and a lot of the interactions. And so it's, it should be interesting. It's a good book. Well, Winston, thank you for talking with our listeners today. And I would just like to say personally, thank you for your testimony, for the example that you've given of somebody that's in the Word all the time and, and the kind of life-changing experience and atmosphere that it brings. I appreciate it, Rick. Thank you for uh, so much for this offer uh, to, to let, uh, let me share this. And uh, and God bless your ministry, and really enjoy listening uh, to the Prophecy Today uh, weekly every every week. It's a joy to us. Well, on Prophecy Today weekend, uh, we always uh, examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word and what's happening around the world to help people to understand why the world is acting as it is. And that's really why we have our broadcast partners that come on with us to explain uh, what the world is thinking, what their thoughts are. And, you know, each week as we put our top 10 news stories, uh, the, the stories that we feel are the most, are, are very important on our website, uh, sometimes I do have to explain why I put those uh, articles on our website. And today, to help us to do that, is Dr. Don DeYoung. Don, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. Good to join you. You have always been so uh, gracious to come on and to explain (laughs) these complicated issues to us folks that uh, as we are trying to understand why the world is doing what it's doing. The Jerusalem Post put out an article entitled Sixth Mass Extinction Event in Progress. And it's humanity's fault. There's two aspects of this article as we work through this. But help us. What are they talking about, the sixth mass extinction? Yes, it's all very interesting, uh, Jimmy. Geologists describe several mass extinctions where animal and plant life perished. And they separate these extinctions by millions of years. And so they see these uh, major events. The first one, they say, was a half a billion years ago. Most recently, uh, uh, the Cretaceous extinction when the, when the dinosaurs went away. And now their point is that there's a new extinction, and it's due to us. It's due to the pressure that people are putting on the environment and then uh, leading to the, the end of different plants and animals. And so that's got them all stirred up that uh, there's another extinction, and it's our fault. Hmm. Now, 
we certainly have a ready reply to all this kind of thing. Um, uh, there was a time in Earth history when almost all life perished. And now it's not an extinction because, you know, um, life was preserved on board the ark. Of course, mm-hmm. I'm talking about the flood. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that would be our contrast. Instead of having separate extinctions separated by long time scales, there was one major episode. And instead of millions of years ago, it's back during the flood, Old Testament times. And uh, so we're kind of reevaluating what the geologists see and saying things are much more condensed at one time. So there's a little bit of truth to what they're saying, and of course, a lot of error as well. Now, the other part, the idea that we are responsible for a new extinction, that's very debatable. They talk about uh, losing plants and animals, and then they find creatures that they thought were long gone. Right. We're not sure uh, how many animals are being, uh, you know, uh, going extinct, if any at all. Uh, but it's um, it's kind of a, just a, a contemporary idea. Don't you see this as, and and uh, the apostle Peter talked about it in Second Peter chapter three, that in the last days. People will become uh, dumb on purpose, willfully ignorant, I guess, as my father used to call it, dumb on purpose, about creation. Is this falling into that category? Well, I think it is. You know, mm. if you go far enough in this direction, uh, as you say, uh, God will let you run with it, and uh, and the errors just multiply. You know, this whole idea of taking multiple extinctions and putting it back at the time of the flood, there's a whole parallel Geologists talk about multiple ice ages over eons of time. Mm-hmm. We we counter that with the idea that there was one ice age, and it actually followed the, the, the Genesis flood and just a few thousand years ago. So it's kind of exciting to uh, reinterpret uh, uh, Earth history in, in terms of, you know, um, the biblical way of looking at it. And uh, the answers really make more sense, and it's just so refreshing to go at it in a godly way. I want to follow up one last question on our article that I sent out because Elon Musk, who is a very smart man, he's going into space exploration. Part of that article is that uh, to help as humanity is causing this mass extinction that you talked about is to explore colonization of planets like Mars and and, and moving out to the galaxies to ex, uh, to expand colonization of those planets what are your thoughts i know that you are uh, you understand that you un- you watch the stars and the heavens and the galaxies you're very knowledgeable on that what what's your thoughts on us possibly moving out to colonize uh, other planets well you know jimmy i i'm all pro space exploration mm-hmm. it's searching out the secrets that god put out there and it, whether or not the word is used, it's all good creation research. But as you describe, uh, there's an unspoken part of the space age, and that is uh, conquering the outer reaches because of a fear that planet Earth is uh, limited and, it, right. and that it's hadded. They talk about the sun expanding and burning up the earth. It's a whole secular view of looking at the far future to say that we need to think about other planets because the earth is not going to work anymore. Mm. Of course, the Christian worldview is completely opposite to that. This planet earth was made specially for us, both for the present and in the future. 
And it's not that the earth is going to be uh, destroyed in some kind of secular, spontaneous way. Now, God will certainly clean up the place, Mm -hmm. but he has other purposes and a future for the earth. So again, that whole idea that we must explore outer reaches on our own because this home is, you know, being ruined, uh, not not true. Mm. If we, uh, if you had to give someone, uh, you know, a little tidbit of information that they could use today that would help them in conversations with people uh, talking about creation, what would be probably the most important thing that that you could give them that they would keep on their mind? <laughs> uh, good question. Uh, as I think about this myself uh, uh, from a science career. I realized how little we really know Mm -hmm. about um, uh, creation all around us. Mm -hmm. As an example, Jimmy, um, the law of gravity or all of the physical laws that make the whole thing operate, whether you're talking about energy, thermodynamics or whatever, you know, the science world has no explanation for why these basic laws Mm. come from, Mm -hmm. these laws that we depend on every day. And it's so clear that these laws were established and uh, the, the, the Lord uh, enforces them and keeps them operating. Otherwise, we'd be in big trouble. So we are just surrounded on all sides by God's fingerprint. And, of course, Scripture then fills it all out, telling us uh, who put these together and, that, and what Christ has done for us to give life meaning. Well, it goes on and on. <laughs> yes. Uh, and that's so good. I love how we would always close out in our conversation with you with Colossians 1. Colossians 1, uh, 16 and 17, talking about who holds it all together. And he created it. It's the creator that uh, he holds them. And by Jesus Christ, all things consist. And we can only realize that in the world in which we're living in and not to live in fear, uh, knowing and understanding that God has a perfect plan, not only from the past, but today and in the future. Dr. Don DeYoung, thank you so much for being here with us and giving us answers today. Well, thank you, Jimmy. We'll visit again. Looking forward to it. Dr. Don DeYoung, and uh, go to his website, discoveryofdesign2.com. Thank you, Jimmy. Well, we got to take a break, and when we come back, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we do examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Well, I just returned back from a four-day conference in Fruitland Park, Florida at the Calvary Baptist Church. And I had a great time studying Bible prophecy with the church there. And we really took a look at why study Bible prophecy, why it's so important in our lives today. And it really does. When you understand the events that are taking place, it does help you to uh, realize why the world is acting as it is, what's taking place, and what will happen in the future. And just like Daniel, we can read the scriptures. He read the prophet Jeremiah, Daniel chapter 9, and understood how many years that they would be held into Babylonian captivity. Well, this week we're starting a series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, and we'll be looking at the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a unique prophet with a unique prophecy 
And we'll also see just in a, in a moment how the prophet Ezekiel has a unique ministry. Please take your Bible and turn to Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 26, as we continue this study in the book of Ezekiel with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. This is the Legacy Series right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Ezekiel, in my opinion, I don't know if you know Ezekiel very well. He's become a very good friend of mine. I hope that I am introducing him to you so that you'll come to love him as well as I do. This is a unique man in all of history. God makes him a watchman. Hear the word from my mouth. Warn the people. And then you know what he does? Makes him dumb. Look here in verse 26. And I will make thy tongue cleave to the roof of thy mouth, that thou shalt be dumb and shalt not... Be to them a reprover, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with thee, I will open thy mouth, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. Wow. This is going to be a seven-year ministry from chapter 3 all the way to chapter 33, where he gives him his tongue back, loosens his tongue. But he's going to make him so that he can't even speak unless he opens his mouth so he can warn the people or pass along, thus saith the Lord God. That's used 272 times in the book of Ezekiel. Thus saith the Lord. Ezekiel, he's going to be the first street preacher. In chapter 4, it says Ezekiel's going to go out and lay in the street on his left side for 390 days. And then God's going to tell Ezekiel, turn over to your right side and lay there for 40 days. 430 days, Ezekiel is to lay in the street. Dumb can't talk. Mouth opened only when God has a message for the people. God says, Ezekiel, you're probably going to be hungry. I'm going to give you a quart of water every day to drink. I'll give you eight ounces of meat to eat. And, and by the way, here's the ingredients for bread. And I'm going to give you bread. Now, you're probably asking, Ezekiel, you're out there laying in the middle of the street. How are you going to break the bread? How are you going to bake it? Get it so you can eat it. And God says to Ezekiel, you know what I want you to do? I want you, Ezekiel, to stand up and take a bowel movement in public. And when you've done that bowel movement, take the excrement that's there, put it together, light it, and bake your bread over it. You got chapter 4? Look at it. Let's see what the word says. Verse 5. For I have laid upon thee the years of the iniquity according to the number of the days, 390 days. So shalt thou bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. Verse 6. Then thou shalt, when thou hast accomplished them, lie again on thy right side. And thou shalt bear the iniquity for the house of Judah 40 days. Remember, Israel and Judah had been divided. And there were two different groups of Jews. Ten tribes in the north, Israel. Two tribes in the south, Judah. I've appointed each of these days for a year of the judgment to come. Notice down here in verse 10 where he says, And thy meat which thou shalt eat shall be by weight 20 shekels a day. That's 8 ounces of meat, as I said. Verse 11, And thou shalt drink also water by the measure, the sixth part of a hen. That's a quart of water. Go back up here into verse 9. Take thou also unto thee wheat and barley and beans and lentils and millets and fishes and put them into one vessel and make thy bread. Verse 12. And thou shalt eat it as barley cakes and thou shalt bake it with dung that cometh out of man in their sight. That's human excrement when he takes a bowel movement in public. That's what God told him to do. 
You see, God made him a prophet to the Jewish people. God said, you're going to be unique. I've got to communicate. They're not paying attention to me. Ezekiel said, God, don't you remember Deuteronomy? It's not kosher to take a bowel movement in public. God said, that's what I did tell Moses. Okay, you're not going to have to take a bowel movement and bake it over human excrement. Instead, look at verse 15. Then he said unto me, Lo, I have given thee cow's dung for man's dung that thou shalt prepare the bread therewith. I can almost hear Ezekiel say, Hey, thanks a lot, God. That's a lot better. God is using this man. He said, I'm going to make you a prophet. They're going to know a prophet hath been among them. You know what he tells him in chapter 5? Cut all your hair off your head. Cut all your hair off your beard. Put it in three piles. Take a, a dagger, stab one pile, burn this pile, and take this pile and throw it into the air. Now what in the world is God doing with that? If we continue to study, this is a prophet speaking to the Jewish people. And what it is saying is, when Nebuchadnezzar, 2 Chronicles chapter 36, comes for the third wave, 586 B.C., he comes in, he will burn the city down. And those people that have the hair burned, that's a third of the people will be burned to death. A third of them will be killed by sword when Nebuchadnezzar comes in. And a third of them left will be taken into the Babylonian captivity. God was using Ezekiel. 24th chapter. Ezekiel has the wife of his youth. It's the pride of his life. And God says to Ezekiel, tomorrow morning I'm taking your wife. She's going to die. You get up tomorrow morning. Don't you mourn. Don't you pronounce Sheva. Don't you mourn for seven days, which is the tradition. You get up, put your clothes on, go to work as the prophet that I've made you. These people will know that a prophet had been among them. Chapter 24, verse 24. Wow. Get to chapter 37, which we'll look at in just a few moments. God takes Ezekiel out to a valley of dry bones. I think he literally takes him there and there's bones all over the valley. And God says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, I love the way he answers in chapter 37. He says, Lord, you know. Why are you asking me? And then God says to Ezekiel, preach to the bones, Ezekiel. Wow. And every single time God said to do something, lay on your side for 390 days, on your right side for 40 days, drink a quart of water, eat eight ounces of meat, and bake your bread over cow manure. Every time God told him that, yes, sir. Hey, listen, cut all your hair off and stab, burn, or throw it into the air. Yes, sir. Your wife's going to die. Don't mourn. Yes, sir. Preach to the valley of dry bones. Yes, sir. Every time. Without hesitation. You know why he did that? Go back to chapter 1. Because Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord. In his 30th year, verse 4, And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind cometh out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding. And he looks to see what it is. Verse 5, and out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. Let me just tell you, taking a shortcut, these are cherubim. They're cherubim that come, four of them. They have four faces, 
Face in the front is the face of a man. Look here in verse 6. And everyone had four faces. And everyone had four wings. And their feet were as straight as they, uh, they might be able to be. Look up here in verse 10. And as for the likeness of their faces, the four had the face of a man in the front, the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side and the face of an eagle on the back side. This is basically describing the cherubim. They have four wings, two are extended, two cover their bodies. They have four faces. They don't have to turn their head when they travel. And there are four of them, so they are stretching their wings out and touching wingtips to make a square. And it's referred to as a chariot. I call it a throne chariot. And it's going to come down to the earth. I'm not going to get into the wheel in the middle of the wheel. I do not understand what that's talking about. I cannot explain it. If anybody's in the building, can explain. It's not a gyroscope. If anybody's in the building, wants to help me explain and understand what a wheel in the middle of the wheel is, we'll go to Detroit, Michigan tomorrow, and we'll make billions of dollars, I can guarantee you. I don't know what it is. I'll have to wait till I get to the heavenlies. But I want to tell you this. It's how these throne chariots, these cherubim would move. The face of a man in the front, oh, that's the book of Luke. Dr. Luke presented Jesus as a man. On the right, the face of a lion, that's Matthew, Jesus, the lion of Judah. Ox on the left, Mark, the servant. Face of an eagle in the back, John, deity. It's depicting the person of Christ. And it comes down to the earth and it travels. Look, look what it says here, verse 26. And the bum of the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of the sapphire stone. Verse 27, and I saw the color of amber as the appearance of fire round about and within it. And from the appearance of his loins upward and from the appearance of his loins downward, I saw it as it were the appearance of fire. Whoever is in there from up and down, from his waist up, waist down, it's the appearance of fire. Last part of 27, and I saw the appearance of fire, 28, and as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, the rainbow, which is the promise that he'll never, never judge again with water. And so was the appearance of the brightness round about it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. You know what happened? Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord. You know what our problem is? We haven't seen The glory of the Lord. Well, Brother Jimmy, we don't believe in visions. I don't believe in visions either. You don't have to have a vision of the Lord to see his glory. How do I know that? Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. That's all you have to do. Take a little time. You know, pull away from some of your busy activity. Stop and smell the roses a little bit. On the fourth day of creation... Genesis 1, God put the sun in the heavens, put the moon in the heavens. And it was like he was walking away everything. (laughs) And the stars also. And the stars also. Four words. Wow. Einstein said there are 12 octillion stars in our galaxy. It's awesome to me. 12 octillion stars? That's a one with 98 zeros behind it. Wow. And that's just one galaxy. Somebody said the other day, there's one billion galaxies out there. My brother sent me a picture, a picture of a galaxy called the Sombrero Galaxy. It's 56 million light years away. And that's not even the end. Yesterday on my website, 
BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation, reported astronomers have found a star that may well be 320 times the size of our sun. Wow. You know how large our sun is? It would take 1.3 million Earths to fulfill up our sun. And there's a star out there 320 times larger than our sun? They said it's a monster star. And Jesus said, and the stars also. (laughs) I just love that, man. And the stars also. Look in the heavens. His handiwork. It will present his glory to you. And Ezekiel, when he saw the glory of the Lord, yes, sir, I'll cook my bread on cow manure. Yes, sir, I won't mourn my wife dies. Yes, sir, I'll preach to the valley of dry bones. That's what he did. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. And this series just happens to be on Ezekiel. Ezekiel did as he was commanded by the Lord, even though it seemed to be a strange way to be a prophet. Ezekiel was obedient because he saw the glory of the Lord. We can and we must see the glory of the Lord to be obedient to his commands to each of us. Next week on the broadcast, we'll see what the Valley of Dry Bones prophecy is all about. I'll tell you this right now, we are seeing some of this three-part prophecy being fulfilled even today. So please join us next week for this Bible study. Let me remind you, you can go to our website and there you can find any of the teaching that you have heard on our program and that way you can continue and hear these series in their entirety. Go to our website, prophecytoday.com. We've got to take a break and when we come back, I'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. Kramer with Mission Network News. Amid a continuing civil war, Ethiopia has blocked humanitarian aid from the embattled Tigray region since June. Thousands face famine and starvation. Tigray refugees have fled to Ethiopia's capital of Addis Ababa, including numerous Christians. Eric Foley with the Voice of the Martyrs Korea spoke with a pastor there who feeds 600 refugee kids per day. Ten new churches have sprung up, and many have found faith in Jesus. Pray their love would overcome the prejudice of their neighbors and pray for peace in Ethiopia. And a new year brings a new emphasis for Mission Cry. The ministry ships used Bibles and Christian books all over the world. But in parts of Central and South America, people need Bibles and other materials in Spanish. Jason Wolford says they sent thousands of Spanish Bibles to Chihuahua, Mexico. Within 10 minutes, every single Bible had been given away. Pray these seeds will take root. You've been listening to Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. 
Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother, Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And that's really what we have done today. And if this is not your first time listening to our program, you'll know that we look at specific countries of the world and we talk to our broadcast partners about those countries. With Ken Timmerman, we looked at Iran, Russia, Ukraine, the whole situation with what's going on. And even in Europe, uh, Ken helped us take a look at what's going on in Europe and what's taking place there with the migrants that are coming from Muslim countries from around the world and uh, going into Europe. I want you to think about this. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 42, now if you remember Daniel chapter 2 is about that dream that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had of that statue, and Daniel interprets that dream, and really this is the beginning of the Gentile world powers and the nations that come in control of the city of Jerusalem and the Jewish people. And it gives those kingdoms, Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, Rome, and then the the feet and the ten toes of iron and clay. And I've always thought about that passage, and I want to read this to you. And as the toes of the feet were part of the iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. I present to you that it possibly could mean that those Muslim migrants that are coming into Europe and overtaking Europe very well could be that miry clay that's mixed with iron. And of course, these two don't mix and they don't do well together because it says, And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And that's one of the stories that I wanted to focus on this week. Along with Russia, China, Iran, we look at those countries. Bob McGinnis helps us look at those countries. Also, he had some valuable, very important information. David Dolan helps us keep our eyes on the Jewish people. And uh, as we watch what's going on there, plus Dr. Don DeYoung came to us and talked about this mass extinction, and of course he explained that to us. And really when you look at Second Peter, Peter writes about in these days, in the last times, and uh, there will be scoffers and there will be those that willfully are, are ignorant of creation. But perhaps one of the most important interviews that we did today was the interview that we did with Winston Hammerroot. Now, I'm not trying to sell his book, but I was impressed with the interview that my brother did with Winston in the fact that Winston reads the Word of God. So many people today don't study God's Word. You know, when you look at Bible prophecy, it's so very important in our lives. The vast majority of churches today are not even teaching Bible prophecy. Having an accurate and fuller understanding of prophecy gives the Christian hope and encourages a closer walk with God. We are just one generation away from the world being without a voice for an accurate view of Bible prophecy. Can you imagine that? Now, there's a few benefits from studying Bible prophecy. It's profitable. It comprises of at least one-third of God's Word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Again, Paul's given these instructions to Timothy, but we can apply them in our lives today because we are living in the last days. And Paul said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Bible prophecy is proven. We've talked about this before. There are over a thousand prophecies in the Bible pertaining to the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. Of those, 500 have been fulfilled. The fulfillment of the other 500 is just as sure as those that have already come to pass. 2 Peter 1, 19. Remember, Peter gives a testimony of hearing God speak from heaven and saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then he says, we don't study cunningly devised fables. We don't study uh, made up stories. We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arises in your heart. Bible prophecy is practical. I mean, just understanding and reading it. Daniel did that. He set his heart to understand God's word. And from the first day that he set his heart and he humbled himself, Daniel chapter 10, verse 12, he humbled himself from that day. God helped him to understand the times in which he was living. It's purifying. Bible prophecy is very purifying. Knowing that Christ can return at any moment makes us make every moment count. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And you know what keeps us pure? Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. When you understand God's word, when you understand how close that we are to the rapture of the church that could happen at any moment, that's what keeps you pure. Knowing that the next moment you could be standing before your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to give an account as to how you lived your life. That's what takes place. We get that description in Revelation chapter 4 when we get a, a glimpse of the throne room of heaven. You know what? It's promised that there's going to be an eternal reward for students of Bible prophecy. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not only to me, but unto all that love his appearing also. You know, thank you, Winston, for sharing how much you love reading God's word. And in these days in which we're living, when we can show you that events that are taking place are setting up events that will happen after the rapture of the church, if we're that close to those events, how much closer are we to the rapture of the church? And how much more should the word of God be a shining light in a dark world that will give us, that will light our path as we go along through life's journeys? Peter gives one more bit of advice in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4. to 4. He exhorts us, and he says he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, which is among you. Take the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but for a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage and being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. That's the information that we get 
from Bible prophecy. That's the motivation we get to live a pure, productive, holy life in an unholy world. We'll see you again next week right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.